in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For those of you who haven't met me yet, my name is John. Uh, I'm usually somewhere to the middle to the back with my four kids, uh, and they're usually running around, carrying on and screaming and having a lot of fun here. They're not here this morning because I've done the first service and now I'm doing this service. To further my introduction, my association with Northreach is because of my wife. When I was a soldier, I was going to the uh, Uniting Church on Ross River Road, Aitkenvale, uh, and then my housemate brought home his girlfriend and her friend, and uh, I started hanging out with her friend, and then sometime later we got married, and now we have four kids, and now I'm an army chaplain, and I'm back here in Townsville as a Uniting Church minister. But we picked Northreach as the home for our family because of the wonderful kids' ministry that you guys have and because of the opportunities that, uh, that we see for the development in faith of our little ones. And so we're really excited uh, for the 18th of July when Kids Church is back, and I know they are. So this morning, Gary asked me to preach on Jesus is the Holy One of God, uh, which is a title uh, somewhat obscure in, uh, that doesn't occur in many, many, very many places. And so I thought I'd start with this little story from my own experience because I've come to learn that titles come wrapped with a whole lot of baggage and assumptions. When I was studying in Brisbane, I met up with a a pastor from a particular church who said, when I finish my training, this was this guy, I'm not going to get ordained because I don't want to use the title reverend or revered one. I don't believe in titles like that. A couple of years later, I met another minister who said, I would never dare use the term pastor because pastor is a shepherd and Jesus is the good shepherd and I could never marry up to that standard. As I said, I'm in the army, I'm a chaplain. So some people call me chaplain. My rank is chaplain. That, uh, that comes from, or that idea comes from Martin of Tours. The, uh, the icon on the, the left, as you guys see it, uh, was a saint who saw a beggar who was cold and hungry uh, in France and he sliced his coat in half and he gave him some of that cloak so that he could keep warm. The story goes that night Jesus visited him in a dream and spoke to him about serving the poor. When he woke up the next morning, his military cloak that he'd cut in half was whole again. And so they took a piece of that cloak and they made it a holy relic and they put it in the cathedral uh, near where Martin was from 
and they had a bunch of priests that would serve it and look after it and uh, and maintain it. And because of the the cloak was called the capella, the people that served it were the capellani. Uh, and eventually, because of Martin's military background, it came to signal signify, uh, or we anglicised it and made it chaplain, being ministers who serve in the military. And then we've taken it and used it for all branches of chaplaincy outside of there. When I was in Iraq, the US Protestants were, um, were big on calling me chaplain because of the verse in Matthew's Gospel that says, do not call anyone father, anyone on earth father because you have a father in heaven. And yet most of the soldiers that I meet around the barracks in Townsville here, and most of the Anzacs that I served with in Iraq would call me Padre. And I think that's largely because of the Catholic and Ang- largely Catholic and Anglican background of our armed forces. Padre obviously being Latin for father, which is the term often used by Catholic, Roman Catholic and Anglican priests. However, the difficulty with Padre or father aside from the Protestant objections, is what do we do with our female chaplains? What do we do with our Jewish rabbis? What do we do if we uh, start getting more people of other faiths? And then, of course, there's the standard call sign on the radio. We don't use names, and so if they want to talk to me or get me to go somewhere when we're outfield, they call me shepherd. Uh, But I've already raised the concerns that some people, some of the baggage that some people bring with that. Then again, I am a commissioned officer, so some people who don't like that religious stuff choose to call me sir. I had one old soldier who knocked on my, the door to my office about two weeks into my chaplaincy. He said, uh, Padre, can I come in and see you? And I said, sure, go for it. And he said, um, I have a request. And I said, okay. He said, I've been in the army 38 years. I'm old enough to be your dad, calling you father feels weird. Can I call you sir? And I said, after 38 years in the army, as long as you don't call me late for dinner, you can call me whatever you like. With that in mind, having thought about some of these titles that I have applied to me, I'd like us to come to this passage and consider some of the titles that we hear within it. John chapter 6, verses 60 to 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, 
Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, though one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And so as we reflect on this passage this morning, let us come before God in prayer. May the word written, read and proclaimed become for us the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm going to do two things this morning. Uh, the first is we're going to look at one of the more obscure titles of Jesus. That's what, uh, that's what Gary asked me to do. Uh, being having the theme set as Jesus is the Holy One of God. And that comes with some baggage, although not as much baggage as some of his other titles. But we're also going to consider what it means for Peter to say that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And to do this, we'll look briefly at the context of the story. And then having done that, I want to consider for us what it might look like for us to say that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Now this is the back half of the chapter that we heard read last week and and it's difficult teaching. We heard that at the beginning of our, uh, around the middle of our verse or the beginning of our reading. If we focus, were to focus purely on Peter's declaration in verse 69 that Jesus is the Holy One of God, I think we'd be missing a lot in this text and a lot of stuff that can be really helpful and useful for us in our daily lives. These are some of the things that Jesus' followers or the the people who are the crowd who was listening to Jesus may have objected to. The fact that Jesus said he descended from heaven would have been difficult. The fact that he said that you had to believe in him and he had to die in order for us to get eternal life would have been difficult. The, uh, the feeding miracle, feeding the 5,000, while probably cool, would have been difficult to understand. And then we get to this whole teaching uh, language, the bread of life stuff, where he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is difficult. Some of this stuff is offensive It's offensive to those in our wider society and some of it is offensive to us as we sit in this church. Still, there are others who are probably following Jesus to try and get something for themselves. Either the bread, uh, the the free, free lunch from the feeding miracle. Maybe they'd heard about him changing water into wine at Cana. They were after something. There were people that saw in Jesus a political figure who would kick out the Romans or that's what they thought. As Jesus challenges these people who've sat and listened to him and teaches them, he uses what the Bible Project guys call his preferred messianic title, the Son of Man. Now this phrase would have been familiar to a lot of them, particularly if they were well versed in the book of Daniel where this title occurs a lot. The Jewish people, we think, were looking for one who was to come like a son of man. He was to be this perfect person, the, the opposite of Adam when Adam sinned. This son of man was supposed to be perfect and restore the relationship between God 
and the people. He was to be a righteous ruler. Now, ultimately, we know that that did happen and that person is Jesus and Jesus is the Son of Man. But if you think about it from their point of view before the cross, that's not what they were looking for in their ideal Son of Man. They'd brought that extra baggage with them. Since we're talking about titles, sometimes we call Jesus the Messiah or the Christ, the Anointed One, and we know from our historical study that there were other people who claimed to be messiahs kicking around in that area at that time. In the first service and in some of the songs that we sang, we used titles like Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. These are all familiar to us as titles given to Jesus. In the beginning of some of the, in one of the Gospels, Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. In the beginning of John's Gospel, as the prologue we heard, Jesus is identified as the Word. So we have these titles that we use. We're told that many of Jesus' followers left him because of the offensive teaching that he'd given and he was down to just 12 disciples. Jesus looks around at them and he says, or he asks, do you guys wish also to go away? Peter's response to Jesus' challenge in verse 68 is, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. This belief, even in the difficult areas of Christianity, is what's important. It's what separates us from those who come to church purely for the social aspect of it, or from those who would participate in the life of Christian schools or sometimes in a faith community because they like the values that we have but they don't like the spiritual or religious stuff. If I can switch gears for a second. In my very first placement, I had a bloke, a family who came to my church uh, the husband and wife were, had teenage kids. Before they had kids, they were missionaries uh, overseas, and they, but they'd come from a different, uh, a different church. They weren't Uniting Church people. They were Dutch Reformed Church people. And they, but they, they were the kind of guys that you want to have on your eldership team. They're the kind of guys that you want to be uh, helping you make decisions. And as a young minister, they were the kind of people that I wanted speaking into me and my life and helping me. And so I invited John to the pub for a beer. I said, let's catch up. He said, let's go to the pub. I said, that's fine by me. And we were talking about, among other things, his missionary journey and his life and the gospel. And I said, what is it about this Christianity that is so important to you? And he said, this part of John chapter 6, the back part of John chapter 6. In particular, Peter's uh, Jesus' question and Peter's answer, or the first part of Peter's answer, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. He said, if Jesus did what he did, who was who he said he was, if Jesus is God, came to earth, died, was resurrected, and that's it. That for him is the pivot point of faith. If that's true, he said, doesn't matter what else is. He said, we can have interesting discussions about Noah's flood or whether or not the earth was created in six days or whether it's evolution. He said it doesn't really matter if uh, 
David actually threw that stone and killed a giant named Goliath. That stuff is stories that can help us inform our faith. It could be true. It could not for him. But for him, this was it. If Jesus is who he said he is, did what he said he would do, and was raised to new life, where else can we go? This fella has the words of eternal life. And so the stage is set for Peter's great confession of faith. Last week we heard how important belief was. And the importance of belief carries through into the rest of this chapter. In verse 69 when Peter says, We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter is using this double believe and know to emphasise and drive home his point. Belief in this title that Peter is about to use is clearly very important to him. Peter claims Jesus is the Holy One of God. And this shows that Peter recognises the authority of Jesus as opposed to the speculations of the religious leaders who are kicking around Jerusalem and Judea in his time. And I think I would argue that the same is still true today. It's Jesus who speaks into our lives with authority and those of us who preach or teach or lead Bible study or lead worship or lead services, we get to share our opinions. We get to do some research and some thinking and we get to share our opinions. But ultimately we need to point to Jesus who is the Holy One of God. So then where did Peter get this title from? And what does he mean by it? I clicked way too far forward. Those three pictures, the first of them was Aaron. Aaron was a one back one more back, please. The first one was Aaron. Aaron was a high priest. He was set apart by God to perform his priestly function. And in Psalm 106, verse 16, he is referred to as a holy one of God. The second picture in the middle is supposed to be uh, a depiction of the prophet Elisha. And Elisha, in 2 Kings, Kings 4, verse 9, was called the holy one of God or a holy one of God. And we know from uh, Matthew's Gospel that some of the people in Jesus' day thought Jesus was a prophet, that he had a prophetic role to fulfil. Some of them thought, even thought that he was one of the ancient prophets come back. The third character is Samson. Now Samson ties in because in Judges 16.17, Samson is called a Nazarite who is devoted to God or set apart by God. So we see in these three examples men who were called holy ones of God but they're all different. They all have a slightly different aspect to their ministry or their set. Of, the one thing they have in common is their set-apartness. So I don't think from looking at these three guys that this is functioning as a messianic title. Let's keep looking around. Some other scholars have suggested that 
It's a reference to Isaiah's title for God. That's a picture of the scroll, a scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah uses this phrase, the Holy One of God, 25 times in his book. It's his favourite title for God. This understanding of Yahweh and how Yahweh rebukes, redeems and restores Israel. In Isaiah, Yahweh is a relational God who even in the midst of the rebellion of his people is righteous in his actions. Now this is starting to sound to me like Jesus. Jesus came to rebuke the corrupt temple system. Jesus came to tell off the teachers of the law who were making worship more about following rules than, uh, than offering worship to God or loving our neighbours. Jesus came to set things right in our relationship with God. He remained holy and righteous even as he was uh, tortured even as people rebelled against him as he was arrested and crucified. As we flip over into the New Testament, we find this phrase occurs three times in the, in the Gospels. The first two are probably separate accounts of the same story. In Mark and Luke, there's the story of Jesus uh, coming across the person who's uh, got a demon in them And Jesus casts that demon out and the phrase the demon uses is the Holy One of God. The demons in Matthew, sorry, in Mark and Luke recognize Jesus' sovereignty and the demons have to act under it. And so we've made it back to our fourth gospel. John. As I said, there's no evidence to suggest that this phrase was being used by anyone as a messianic title within Judaism. Indeed, the claim to be an incarnate God or a God, a person made God or a God person was more Roman than Jewish. If you think about the Roman emperors, a lot of them proclaimed to be sons of God themselves. So what do we mean with by holy one is holy one of God? Several scholars think that it's referring to the fact that the Father had sanctified or set apart Jesus as a special emissary to come down with a special purpose and a special ministry. This is consistent with the prologue in John, the beginning of John's Gospel, where we say, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and God, he was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's equally resounding in the context of this passage when we say that the world did not, the video said overcome it, but the Greek word can also mean that the world has not understood the light. After the resurrection, Peter uses the title twice more where it's recorded. The first is in his sermon at Pentecost, which this picture up here is uh, representing. In Psalm 16.10, he quotes it as a prophecy of Jesus' resurrection, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. The second time he uses it is as a bit of a, a sermon after he heals the beggar in Solomon's colonnade, where he talks about 
Uh, everything that God has done, God sent Jesus down. Jesus lived our life. He died our death. He was resurrected. It says, and he's charging the religious leaders, you disowned the holy and righteous one. So Peter used this title not just of Jesus here, but in preaching to others about Jesus after the resurrection. So if we fast forward now to 2021. Here we are again, another Sunday, and here we are reflecting again on these words and on this challenge. I'm taking a a bit of a liberty here. Uh, We'll see how it goes. Personally, I think we brushed over the difficult teachings of Jesus a little too easily last week. These issues, particularly around the bread of life, have caused hurt and pain in our Christian church, the wider Christian church, for over 500 years. For the writer of the fourth gospel, this communion meal belongs to and is inseparable from the revelation of God in Jesus. Indeed, where John puts this teaching and this, uh, this meal isn't the Last Supper. It's after the feeding of the miracle. I think Jesus is at the heart of both word and sacrament. And I think there's an urgency for people to see God in Jesus and believe. I know wider struggle, uh, wider society also struggles with some of these ideas. Our Muslim brothers and sisters can't fathom how God could become incarnate and dwell on our earth. Most of the people who aren't involved in a church at all don't can't even see how there would be a God, let alone a God who is willing to come to earth. Some of these ideas are difficult and offensive for us today as well. Please don't hear me wrong though, I'm not saying that we have to jettison the truth because it's difficult or offensive. I think like Peter, like my friend and former church elder John, I stand here looking at the Jesus in the gospel and saying, where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. And so the question for each of us to consider today and into this week is still, do you also wish to go away? This challenge to Peter and his small group of followers still stands for us when we're confronted with difficult teaching. When we're confronted with the difficulties of life, will we give up like fair-weather Christians? Or will we stand with Peter and say, where else can we go? We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So where have we got to? We now know some stuff about this title that's been used and how it's been used in other parts of Scripture. We've seen how it's been referred to uh, or used for people who are set apart with a special calling from God. We've seen how even the demons used it to acknowledge who Jesus was. We've seen that perhaps it comes from Isaiah's description and understanding of who God is. 
And perhaps we've come to appreciate that this slightly obscure title that Peter chose to use was not necessarily chosen by Jesus and that it wasn't a standard Messianic title that was used by others. But that it nevertheless accurately reflected who Jesus was and what his mission was. And so kind of how I can be a chaplain or a padre or a reverend or a sir or just plain John, we can use this as one of the titles that we want that we use for Jesus to say something about Jesus and set apart from others that have baggage like Son of Man, Messiah or Christ. I also shared a little bit of my frustration with last week's message and thank you for allowing me to do that. But can I also say I really appreciated the two points or two of the points that he made. The first is the importance of believing in Jesus. This double emphasis that was in this passage highlights again the importance John places and we should place on believing in Jesus Christ as the Holy One of God. The second idea I liked was this. He said there are many ways to Jesus, but there is only one way to the Father. When I was uh, studying at university, I was studying at ACU, and I had a young, a young lady who was in my Intro to Theology class, and she was a, from a Pentecostal church in Brisbane and working as a school chaplain. And after about the third week, we're standing in our break in the middle of the lecture, and she looked at me and said, I'm confused, John. And I said, why? And she goes, these Catholics believe something that's so much that's so similar to us. It's almost like they're Christian. I'm not suggesting we whitewash our differences. I'm not suggesting that we just put them in the corner and pretend they don't exist because they do and they cause hurt and they cause division. But what I am suggesting and what I'm taking away from last week and what I think is also equally relevant this morning is there are many ways to Jesus through this church, through other churches. But there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God. Amen.